Uh, and I, I wanted you to see this. Yeah, behind me here, by the way. Wednesday Night Live, yeah, we, Wednesday Night Live, we did a, a trivia, right? We were like, one of these things is not like the other, the old Sesame Street, you know, our Bible trivia. Well, today, one of these pictures is not me. So you have to decide which one of those is not me. And I'm not talking about right now, because if it's right now, you'd be going, neither of those are him. I, 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 can, I can tell you that, but look at but uh, I, I, that's, I probably figured it out. That's me on the left, and that's uh, Mike McNona on the right. I'm kidding. That's not Mike, but Mike, 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 my buddy, Mike was. Most of you don't know, Mike came in second place in the world championships for arm wrestling. And, and he's, he, he doesn't, you know, I just, but it's, it, you know, when I think of those guys that are just, I never have had that kind of power in my body. But I pretended I did. This was my freshman year at Philadelphia College of Bible. I had the privilege this week to go back and speak to the college students at Cairn University. But when I was a freshman, Mark Pankos, I see you back there, Danny. Uh, we, we, we were all in the same, our apartments, our dorm rooms were right next to each other. And we had a roommate named Jim Sikowski, and that's actually him on the right. Jim was a beast. He was a Polish fella, and he benched free weights, you know, 350, 400. And he would just get so I mean, just, and so we had a speech class, and in the speech class, you had to sell a product. And I had seen somebody was working this, you ever seen those, it looks like bicycle handlebars, and there's a coil in between, and you kind of just, you, you bend them, and I guess they work your upper body or your arms and all. So I decided I was going to, my speech was going to be, you had to sell a product. I, I was going to sell that product in my speech class. And so, you know, I, we had these pictures taken for before and after. I, I had used that for two months, and this is the, the, the result of that. I think at the time, if you look, I, I really, that is me. I, I weighed about 125 pounds, you know, and, uh, and that was Jim on the right. But the point is that I, I hand that, I, as I started giving my speech and I'm telling how you use this, I passed the, this around. I said, you'll see the before and after results as they, and they went down the first aisle and at the back of the first aisle was my speech teacher. Her name was Sharon Sweet. Any of you knew the college back then? And I'm just kind of looking at her a little bit as I'm speaking and she gets it and I see her looking at it, and then just a laughter that just, Wah! just from her you seat back there, and she's just waving at me, stop, stop, you're done, you got an A, you're done, you, 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 give me a minute, give me a minute, you know, and, and she knew it wasn't real, it just, I guess, I, you know, I, I, I made her laugh good, so I got the A that day, and we moved on, and you can get rid of that picture and bring up the screen, right? I think anybody who has ever known me my entire life, my entire life, I have never given any physical evidence of being a bodybuilder. I never have. There's never, it's never been part of who I am. But I pray by the grace of God that uh, he has allowed me in his process to be involved in spiritual, what? Bodybuilding of the body of Christ. We're going to see today, it's been something that's been going on since the church began. And Paul was one of the first real bodybuilders. And we'll see what we mean by that as we look at uh, Acts chapter 11 today. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. You've made us all different, but we all have a purpose in the body, and it all can be used for edification, for building us, for connecting us. And remind us today that we are not doing something new today. Uh, 
We haven't found a new product or a new gimmick. That we uh, are part of a body that's been being built for centuries. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Next look, we see, we, we've been looking at Paul, right? We've seen Paul, the, his conversion, Paul, the witness, Paul, uh, growing as a disciple, Paul, the co-worker. Today, Paul, the bodybuilder. Next time we look, it's going to be Paul, you know, the missionary. Uh, but before he heads out, it's so important not to miss this paragraph at the end of Acts 11. It's significant in a way it puts it together. We read in verse 27, Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. The first thing I want us to see today looking at this is what? The famine. The famine that's upon them. The context, if you were here last week, Paul and Barnabas have spent a year at this new church in Antioch, right? And they've spent a year there teaching them and building them up and strengthening them. And if you look at verse 27, you'll see that prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, if you followed my little, you know, geographical connections, you might say, hey, that, that doesn't sound grammatically correct, right? Because if Maple Shade, as we said before, was Jerusalem, then Antioch is, we, was like Lake George, New York. That's about the geographical comparison, right? So how do you come down from Jerusalem, you know, to uh, Lake George? And it's only because every time they speak about Jerusalem in the scriptures, it's always uh, up to or down from. Jerusalem was elevated, was an elevated city. And so they always spoke about going up to Jerusalem, or coming down from Jerusalem. So when you're reading this, they are coming from the south to the north, but they're also going down from Jerusalem, right, to Antioch. And Agabus comes and he prophesies that there's going to be a famine. Luke tells us a historical reference, right? This took place, verse 28, in the reign of Claudius. And that's helpful to have him say that. Because Claudius reigned from 41 to 54 A.D., and that, that fits the time frame that Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, he tells us that there was a famine in Judea, in Jerusalem, in the year 46, uh, right? And so they, it, it puts it together. It works. It fits. It's reliable. It's accurate. It's something that should encourage you, Right? That over and over again, Luke, first all of Scripture, but Luke over and over talks about in his Gospels and in the book of Acts, references that you can look at. He references leaders. He references names. He references places. He references dates. In other words, Luke's saying, what I'm telling you is historically true. This happened in a real time and place. 
And if you go ahead and check it out if you want. And the more archaeology has revealed through the years, the more scripture has just stood the test of time. We don't believe the authority and inspiration of scripture because of archaeology. We believe it because Christ declared it. To, but we are affirmed in our faith with archaeology over and over again. Uh, one of those was the year I was born, 1961. They discovered what they referred to as the Stone of Pilate, P-I-L-A-T-E, Pontius Pilate. You know, unbelievers back then, you know, critics of Scripture, theologians who, who doubted, you know, the, 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 you know the, the reliability of the Bible would say, we don't have any record that Pontius Pilate ever really was in a position of authority in Palestine. That's, that, there's, there's no references in that, you know, regarding... And then they uncovered this stone that, that Pontius Pilate had engraved, dedicated to the emperor. And it had his name on it by Pontius Pilatus, right? And it had it listed from the years 26 AD to 37 AD, right where Jesus was on trial in front of Pontius Pilate. My point of going into that is, you know, when, we, when I read about this famine, it's given a historical time, and it causes me to go, hey, this is reliable, what we're looking at. If you picked up a, a book in the store today, you know, and, you know, a, 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 but, you know, this guy wrote his biography. I, I, I'm the, the greatest Philadelphia sports fan ever, you know, about himself. And, and in his biography, he talks about how the highlight of his life as a Philly sports fan was the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. And then you look at the jacket, and you see the guy died in 2017. You would say, hang on a second. They didn't really win the Super Bowl until February of 2018. How was that a highlight of his life if he was dead? He must have made a mistake. He must be referring to Jaworski in 1980 or referring to McNabb in 2004, right? The, the ones who didn't win it, right? It, it, that's exactly what happens with Scripture, that we literally have the apostles that, that are... That, uh, well, Paul to the Corinthians says, Jesus appeared alive to 500 people. Most of them are still alive. It's, Paul's saying, go ahead, go talk to them. This is, we're not playing games with this. It's reliable. In Luke chapter 1, Luke says, I investigated carefully. In Acts chapter 1, Luke says, there were many convincing proofs. And so I just, when we get to here in Acts chapter 11, it's the God of all creation is at work in real time and place. And he gives a prophecy through, through this Agabus that what? There's a famine coming. And it's exciting because what is one of the things that it does? It's a great reminder to the church at Antioch, this is God's church. You're not starting something new even though you're the first Gentile church, right? This is God's church. The Father knows about the famine that's coming. He's got his hands on you. He's at work. If you remember with the Jerusalem church, God kind of did that with them in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, he made it clear, hey, this is my church, and I'm not going to let you make it about you. Through the years, have people done that? Sure. 
But from the beginning, when Ananias and Sapphira tried to say, hey, how about we make this a place where we get recognition for things that we've done, God takes their lives because they lie just so that they'll be praised by the people about what they gave, right? In the Jerusalem church, God says, remember, this is my church. Now, in the Antioch church, God says, yeah, you're the first Gentile church, really. But remember, this is my church that I began on the day of Pentecost. I know what's happening with you. There's a famine coming, and I'm going to work through it. The wonderful thing about it, the famine is actually going to hit the Jerusalem church harder than the Antioch church. And I think one of the reasons God has sent the message to them is for that reason. For they've been shaped by Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas have been there for a year, right? Molding them to have a family heart for the founding church back in Jerusalem. You guys are Gentiles, they were Jews. Remember, you're the same family. And that's the second thing I want us to see, the family. The family, the beauty of it. Way back in Nehemiah in, in, in the Old Testament, Nehemiah has been taken into captivity, right? And as he's in captivity, he's, he's the cupbearer to the king. He's got a decent position there. But what happens, he says, it, it happened in the month Chislev in the 20th year. I was in Susa, the capital. Han and I, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came. This is Nehemiah 1, verse 2. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, praying to the God of heaven, right? What do we have? We have Nehemiah saying, I had such a heart and connection for Jerusalem. That's where we came from. That's, 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 that's who we are. We're in captivity. We're far away, but it's who we are. And, and back here in Antioch, it's this, I, I think Paul and Barnabas have been building the same sort of spirit there. That same family sense and connection with where they've come from, right? For a year, they've been teaching them the words and the works of Jesus that all took place where? South. <laughs> south of them. Jesus didn't walk through Antioch. No. They taught with the woman at the well and with Nicodemus and with the man born blind and with the, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, all these things that happened down there in Jerusalem, down there in Galilee, you know, and, and with, the, with the emphasis being what? That's where it all began. Real life and I'm sure they also shared with them the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1. If they've spent a year with them teaching them about Jesus, they certainly have taught them. And just before he ascended and after he rose from the dead, here's what he said to us in Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And they've said to them, that's where it all began. It began in Jerusalem as the witness went out. And eventually by Acts chapter 8, we went in Jerusalem and into Judea and the gospel reached Samaria. 
And now, Antioch, you are the beginning of the uttermost parts of the earth. You're this first real Gentile church, but the point is this, you are not a separate work. You are not independent from the Jerusalem church. In Acts chapter 11 and verse one, we read what? The apostles and the brethren. It's the same word they use there in verse 29 when they wanna take their their resources and send them, right? It says, for the relief of the brethren. That word, your translation may say brothers and sisters, which is accurate, or brothers or brethren. It's the word adelphos. It it comes from the, the word delphis, which means womb, and adelphos, means of the same womb. They came from the same womb. It's that sense of what? A common origin. Sometimes I'll be talking to somebody, I'll say, yeah, where are you from? Oh, we're from Philly, you know, we moved over from there. And I, oh, oh, really, we're in Philly. Oh, we, you know, our parents, we were in Kensington. Really? My parents were in Kensington. Like, and you all of a sudden start going, wait a minute, what? Like, right, it may be other places as well, but that sense of, hey, wait, that's where our story began, or my parents' story began, or at least it, it, from our perspective and, and, and what we know, right? But what is being said here is what? This sense of, I picture Paul and Barnabas saying to the Antioch church, we are here rejoicing in your salvation in Antioch because God began a work in Jerusalem. That's why we're here. It's not, you know, sometimes you I thank God for church planters who are going out there. But every so often I'll read literature or I'll hear a church planter that's almost making it like we are starting something totally new that nobody's ever thought of. We're going to be completely different from all those other boring churches that you've ever heard of. You, you know. And I, I kind of go, yeah. If somebody's saying they're, st- I'd much rather hear a church planter say, as the gospel has gone forward to all parts of the world, we are seeking to bring it into this area. Because nobody is starting a new church, a new location, a new local body. But what Paul and Barnabas made clear, they're your family. It's that church that began in Jerusalem that you are part of. You are connected as the body of Christ is beginning to grow and spread. I thank God for, God has been so gracious to my earthly family, uh, to all of us, my real eternal family. But I look at my earthly family and how, you know, my parents have come to faith in Christ. All of my siblings have come to faith in Christ. Our spouses have come to faith in Christ. All the, the, the next generation, the children have professed a faith in Christ, right? And that sense of, 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 of growing in the Lord. And I know we didn't, we didn't start something here when we came in the mid-70s. There was a fellow who kind of was so instrumental in getting us out here. His name was Mike White. Mike is with the Lord now. But I sure hope, uh, I'm sure, I don't have to hope, I know that that, that Mike sits there in heaven knowing, wow, I had no idea. Mike was involved here in what? In sports outreach. He was involved in, he had a burden to use basketball to get kids to come in and hear the gospel. 
and we got invited out by our neighbor, my brother Leo, Dan, myself, the, the family, to, to come play basketball, and in doing so, do what? You know, get to hear the gospel of Jesus and, and be confronted with that personal offer of, of eternal life and salvation. And, and, and that's, that's how we got to be part of it all. But I, I, I think about, well, what about Mike himself? He didn't start it either. Matter of fact, in our particular location, it really began in 1890 with a couple named Charles and Mary Schuster. If you look at any of the title maps of Maple Shade, this was part of what was called the Schuster Track, this area of Maple Shade. Charles and Mary Schuster, Schuster sold this piece of land to the Morristown Baptist Church for $1 in 1890. And it sat here for a couple decades. And in 1924, the Baptist Extension Society of Camden, who's not in existence anymore, right? Except here we are. The Baptist Extension Society of Camden put a tent here on this corner and began gathering to, uh, you know, preach the gospel of Jesus. In 1925, we became Emmanuel Baptist Church. So in two years, we're going to celebrate our 100th anniversary. So don't throw that stuff away. You find an old bulletin or something, you know, let us, we're going to start collecting that stuff, right? You know, but, but that'll be our 100th anniversary in two years. But, but my point is, even that, we have to remember, we, are we an independent church? Yes, we're independent in our government in that we don't belong to a denomination, we as a church family. But are we an independent church of the body of Christ? No. We belong to the body of Christ that began in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. As somebody say to me, Where, hey, when did your church begin? When did our church begin? Oh, our church began 2,000 years ago. Wow. You know, but, but that we're in Now listen, I'm not talking about some um, ecumenical embrace of everybody who claims the name Christian, right? I have sadly met pastors, leaders of Christian organizations who don't believe that Jesus is the only means of salvation. And, but, and you, I'll say, how, how, how could you be a Christian pastor? And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And I've had them say, oh, you believe that? Well, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> he said it. If I'm following him, I better, right? Well, I, I don't have, but, but what I mean is, I'm not talking about those who don't believe the Bible is God's authoritative word. And what I'm talking about is a worldwide family that you're part of, we're part of. One commentary says, we must develop what can be called a body of Christ mentality. Some call it kingdom perspective, where our concerns are not only for ourselves, but for the entire kingdom of God. And I thank God, that's always been part of who we are. We don't see ourselves as some Jim Jones, those of you who remember him, you know, some you know, exclusive group that only we have the, the truth. We are part of a church that began all the way across the ocean in Jerusalem. And it has grown, and it has grown, and it has grown. We are a local church, and I believe in the local church that God has established, right? But we are part of that body. I thank God that he has brought people here into our church from India, from Central America, 
from Africa. We, we've had students here from China, Korea. I just thank God that, that he has brought into our church people's lives that remind us the world's a lot bigger than, the, than, than my little world here on the mid-Atlantic coast, right? That, that the body of Christ is experiencing things, that, that there are people in our church that are related, their relatives are, are living in lands where they are finding great difficulty to live out their faith. I thank God that we get to partner with other churches and send missionaries to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's funny to say that because really, that was said in Jerusalem, we're the uttermost parts of the earth, but we say, let's send them out to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? But, but I thank God for that. I thank God for organizations. Listen, I, I don't answer for, I, I can't tell you every person, every decision that Voice of the Martyrs has ever made, whatever, but I thank God for organizations like them. I don't know if you get Voice of the Martyrs magazine. One of the things that I did was I got us a bunch of copies of their prayer guide. They're, some of them are out, the, maybe they'll run out quick, but out at the information center. And it simply goes through and gives you Kazakhstan, Kenya, Jordan, Iraq, Indonesia, you know, every country. What, how many believers are there percentage-wise? Do they have freedom? Is the church being persecuted? Are they suffering? How can you pray for them? The idea is to be what? It facilitates our ability to care. They're our family. And some of them are suffering immensely for their faith in Christ. And I'm excited about what God's doing here, but we can't forget what's happening elsewhere. And, and, and they were excited about what God was doing in Antioch, but they didn't forget the family. And that leads to the third word, the facilitator. We have the famine, the family, and then we have the facilitators, the ones who provide the opportunity to connect, right, the body. For we read in Acts chapter 11 and verse 29, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. They're the ones who get to facilitate it. The exchange, and I want you to think of that word because that's really what it is. Very often in our minds, the wealthier country is the one that's giving. But there's an exchange the wealthier country of believers may be sending the support, but it's often the country in need that is sending us the tremendous testimony of their lives for us to see, right? I love the response that they have immediately, right? I don't know if you followed the news story uh, that's still ongoing about the Colorado River and Lake Mead. On January 31st was a deadline that has now obviously since not been obeyed for seven states that use the Colorado River for water to cut their use in half. Smithsonian Magazine says there has been a drought for 23 years. It's the worst in 120 years. And Lake Mead, which the Colorado River feeds, is at historic lows, according to Smithsonian Magazine. Now, six of those states, Arizona, Nevada, Wyoming, Utah, New Mexico, and Colorado, have all come to an agreement to reduce their use. 
but there's one state that isn't willing. I, I can't imagine what state that would be. That, that it, like California, right? California is saying, no, we'll come up with our own timetable and our plan, and we're the biggest state, and you guys will follow our plan. But, you know, I'm not picking, if, if California's your home state and you love it, I just, my point is, I'm glad Antioch wasn't that way. Antioch said what? Is the family hurting? Let's do something right now. Let's respond right away. And it was as it always should be. It was voluntary. Verse 29, in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, right? Just like the early church in Jerusalem had been. In Acts 4, we read about the church and they were selling different possessions and they were sharing things and nobody was in need. And, and I've said it before and it's important to know there is no effort there at a Christian communism. They all, it, it's clear the language that they all had private properties, houses that they still went to. Not all of them, but what I mean is that there was still a lot of private, they were, they were selling of their excess. Some more sacrificially than others, but they were selling some of their possessions and making sure the body was cared for. It, it, it wasn't forced communism where everybody had the same thing or something, right? But, but that's the, the example, and here is the first Gentile church sending support to the founding Jewish church. And Paul and Barnabas are the uber bodybuilders, right? Uh, what, 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 you know, we Uber, I guess it started out just driving people, right? Now there's Uber Eats, and I don't, I don't, I don't know how many Uber things there are. What you can do, what Uber will get you, you know. But, but Uber, traveling, bringing it, making the connection, that's Paul and Barnabas. There are two-way facilitators. They take the support from the church at Antioch, and they bring it to Jerusalem. But they come back in chapter 12 and verse 25. We read, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. We have them coming back, and they come back with what? They are coming back with such a testimony of how the Jerusalem church is suffering, but standing for their faith. And believe me, it's no surprise that when they come back with that report, that in the very next chapter, the Holy Spirit is reminding them, listen, when we said the uttermost parts, you're not at the end of it. It's time to keep going. What began in Jerusalem, it's made its way to Antioch, and Antioch is going to be the base for Paul's missionary journeys where he takes the gospel west through Asia, through Europe. But it's this tremendous, valuable moment for Paul to facilitate what? bodybuilding. We are part of one another. Building the body in our local church, absolutely. But us as a local church remembering we didn't start something new and separate here. We are an extension of the body of Christ that began in Jerusalem. It's valuable for us. It's valuable for us to be able to find ways how can we care for the hurting church. We've said it before. We've watched God in our midst bring people like Raj into our church family and, and, be, and, and we've been able to directly give support to his, where he's come from in India, to lives there. 
We've had missions teams that have gone to places. So for us to be part of that, but also for us to receive their testimony. One of the articles in the Voice of the Martyrs this month that just, an iman, he was an, a, a teacher of Islam in the Quran. Started, he was an iman at age 25, and he was teaching, right, Islam. And, and what happened? He eventually, through incredible testimony, he eventually came to faith in Jesus Christ. About 25 years later, about the age of 50, told his family about Jesus. We can't follow Muhammad anymore. We have to follow Jesus. His wife rejected him. His brothers beat him and broke his legs. They took him and they put him in a a hut and they locked it and said, you're not getting out until you stop talking about Jesus, right? And yet to read his story that today he is still, knowing his life is in danger, going around sharing the gospel of Jesus. I look at that and I... I think about a song that Twyla Paris sings. How beautiful the hands that served the wine and the bread and the sons of the earth. How beautiful the feet that walked the long dusty roads and the hill to the cross. How beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful is the body of Christ. And then she says this, How beautiful the feet that bring the sound of good news and the love of the king. How beautiful the hands that serve the wine and the bread and the sons of the earth. How beautiful, how beautiful is the body of Christ. I want you to take your communion and as you do, remember that there are those who don't have the freedom that we have right now to share this publicly. There are those who perhaps hours ago were hiding to be able to share the Lord's the Lord's Supper. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are today sitting in dungeons because they won't deny their faith in Jesus. Sharing communion in the filth of it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this reminder. We are excited about what you're doing here in our midst. But don't let us forget our brothers and sisters. our brothers and sisters who have paved the way through their martyrdom for the gospel to spread. Thank you, Lord. As we take this bread in our hands, we we sit at the table with Jesus, and, and he sat there focused on the disciples around him, but... Just a bit later, he'd be in the garden. John chapter 17 tells us he was there praying for us. He was praying for all those that he knew the the gospel would reach through the centuries ahead. And so it is 
we are connected with that moment. We are part of that beginning of the church of Jesus and we hear Jesus' words to us right now. For that night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to the disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread. and focus on that Jesus for in the same manner after supper Jesus took the cup and said this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me